I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Telegraph Telegraph. Podcasts Hi there podcast fans, I'm Tom Gibbs Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club Today, the FA Cup produces a shock-free fifth round, but plenty to talk about, including stellar performances from soon-to-be England superstar Phil Foden and former England superstar Ashley Cole. We'll look ahead to Manchester United versus Chelsea and this week's Champions League fixtures and hear about a new soap opera starring more or less every employee of Internazionale. Plus, we spend possibly too long choosing our favourite ever footballing beards. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by our old friend making his return. It's football news fiend, Matt Law. Hi. How you doing? I I thought I might have been sacked, actually. Sam Dean's been doing such a good job. Yes. Yes. Am I under pressure? Well, you're fighting for your place. But, you know, that's where we see the real, Matt. That's when the real great audio content starts to arrive. I don't have a plan B, so my plan A will have to work. (laughs) Don't pull a spares you. (laughs) (laughs) Alongside him, marshalling the midfield with all of her European nous, we say buongiorno to Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Ciao. I'm good, and you? Yeah, pretty well, thank you. Yeah, recovering from... uh, what can only be described as a disgusting weekend of football? Oh, okay, good, because I thought you were going to say it was fantastic. No, I'm no. like, really? No, I mean, there's plenty to discuss as ever, but it, w- it wasn't fun, was it? Uh, who knows this better than JJ Ball, fresh from writing several dozen live blogs over the weekend. Uh, none of them particularly <laughs> exciting. How are you feeling, JJ? How's the mood? I'm pretty good. I think I might actually have an injury from typing so fast in the live blogs. I'm not they joking. Weren't, they weren't even that eventful, the games. How no, did you sustain that? I, was just, I just typed so damn fast. <laughs> did you live blog the game? I was at the AFC Wimbledon. Uh, no. I, I had to live blog that without being able to watch it, so I did a I did all the games at once. I was doing ten games at once on the. Saturday. How do you live blog something without being able to watch it? By reading various different bits and pieces to put it all together and watching the the um, coverage oh. on like Sky and BT at the same time. There you go, readers. That's live so blog people don't even it. watch the games. A glimpse behind the curtain. <laughs> there. They watch them. Let's start with Newport's sad exit from the FA Cup. Lost 4-1 at home to Manchester City on Saturday. They held out pretty well in this game. I thought, what did we make of their performance and how they approached this hardest of assignments? 
I thought Newport were um, decent enough, but they were never going to win it. Um, the best thing they were they, they troubled them Man City early on by absolutely hurling the ball like a catapult from throw-ins, and um, yeah. the people were in the, in the defence weren't getting rid of it easy enough. Ederson pulled off an amazing save at his far post. Um, I think the guy Backinson came in as a header at the, the uh, six-yard box. Should have scored. Can't believe he didn't. Uh, Ederson saved that. But apart from that, I think um, City. I mean, they're just clearly much better. And they turned it on when they wanted to. You saw at the end when um, Newport got their goal, which is really well taken, a nice lob. Mm. Amund, he scored in every round of the cup, I think. It was a nice little stat. I do enjoy that one long ball under the defence again. <laughs> it <laughs> catches you out, yeah. It's the it's vulnerability. Nice. Did anyone notice the size of Manchester City's mascots? No. It's the largest collection on massive mascots I've ever seen. I'm really hoping now that there's not like... Some some real like reason that it's a, a load of kids from a hospice or something, and in which case, fine. The very large eleven mascots went with the team. Does it make you feel uneasy? Feel free to cut all of that out if you want. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to, uh, we'll have to do some due diligence on that afterwards and see if it makes the final cut for the podcast. What about Foden? Uh, pretty impressive game overall. I thought what was especially impressive about him, Mina, was he kind of seized the initiative after Newport did score that goal, just went straight up the other end and scored. Did you, uh, do you think we should be seeing more of him in the first team for City? I think that this is a game we can't judge him by. Uh, there was not a single newspaper sort of website or anything that I read that wasn't overflowing in hyper, you know, hyperbole when it came to referencing Phil Foden. And I just wanted to say it's Newport. So like as much as we can judge this guy and, and he is a fantastic player, don't take anything away from him, you know. He is smart in uncovering space, exploiting it, you know, Going forwards, his movement is fantastic. He shows a lot of intelligence, but against what opposition exactly? They're not, I mean, Arsenal can't defend. You think a team like Newport can? You know, like this is for me, I, I sometimes think that when you see this kind of performance and then you'll take him and say, yeah, well, he's ready for this. Obviously, I don't think Pep Guardiola is going to do that, but throw him into a different situation. Everything changes when you have someone pressing you, when the opponent is more intimidating, when it's a Champions League match and the atmosphere is stifling. And I don't think that this is a clear indication of what the player can do because I need to see him against worthy opponents. No, no disrespect to Newport, but this isn't a match that I can really judge a kid by. On the other hand, though, can't, can't you say that because he gets so few opportunities, no matter who he's playing against, the time he gets a start, there's an awful lot of pressure on him. Um... And he reacted to that well. Yeah. If yeah, you're only really getting the odd kids. little start here and there, it can't be easy just in that one start to, to react that well and, and show something. This is the thing. I don't think so. I think kids always do well in their start because they're always keen to show you what it is that they can do from Jaden Sancho to Callum Hudson-Odoi to Nicolo Zaniolo, who started Champions League match against her. In fact, if anything, I always think their debuts are quite impressive. It's further along where things start getting a little bit harder for them. But yes, you're right. I mean, it's unfair for us to say anything about him because he's not getting the chance to show us what he can do in a bigger match. So we can only judge him by what he's doing so far. And while that's fantastic, I think we have this habit sometimes in the media of saying this kid is fantastic. And then when he doesn't perform in a huge match, oh, yeah, I, to just rip him apart. I completely afterwards. agree with that. I think Foden's a different, um, different beast from a lot of these kids. I think he's next, like next level player. Whenever he's playing the Premier League, when he comes on at the end, he doesn't make mistakes. He um, his decision making is absolutely superb. He just plays like a small version of D- David Silva, and he understands exactly where to be at the right times. He's been coached, sure enough, but he knows where to go. And when he came on against Newport, well, he was on from the start. Sorry, uh, he was the one that was creating chances. He was the one that was taking them forward. Sure enough, it's it's only Newport. 
but they are big lads and they were defended really well. They were very structured, very organised and it took a bit of cunning to break them down. You look at Foden in the Premier League, um, so if you look at, he's played eight games, it's all sub-appearances so far, but his chances created is 3.9 per 90 minutes. So in context, of any player to have played a similar number of games, eight games we'll say, uh, he is the top for chances created in the entire league. So Willian is next to him, comparably, when 3.37, he's played 24. Ivan Cavaliero at Wolves is 3.23. Foden has not played as much, but per 90, he is as, he's the most creative player in the league when he's but come JJ, on. But JJ, generally speaking, when you do have a physical opponent, what's the way to approach the game? Well, it depends entirely on the situation, but you're not going to win with crosses by being technically technically perfect and quite intelligent to pass your way around. Can be, yeah. If there's a block, it's hard to get round. So he is actually the perfect guy to play such opponents. If he is a physical guy who relies a lot on his athleticism and his strength, then this isn't a great matchup for him because he will be beaten. But this is actually him, and it is he is intelligent and he is all of this stuff. But these are the perfect opponents because they're caught flat-footed when he's dribbling past all of them, creating brilliant space, cutting in, and, and then delivering a shot. He is exquisitely talented when you're comparing them to the boys at Newport sure but I mean like David Silva didn't stand out as much as Foden ultimately do you think he is, is he good enough to take the place of Silva long term so I'm surprised I think so yeah I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised I know he's how can you tell he's, he's only enough. 18 <laughs> but I'm a bit surprised there's not more debate around what the future holds for Foden um, and how best what what is his best path going to be because it's hard to you wouldn't want to take him out of City because clearly the coaching he's getting at City is amazing and that will help him a lot. And then realistically, though, for another season or two at least, you can't see him getting many more opportunities than he's getting. And given all the debate, everything around people like Hudson Adoy, I'm surprised that there's not more discussion about how Phil Foden's development path is going to go in the next 18 months. He is I getting think he's, he's getting minutes. games though. And this I don't thing. debate that. Yeah. But when you... <laughs> and he's training alongside superstars. Well, this is it. But then happens. how does he then take the next step in the next 18 months if... Well, I think you can look at it from it's not similar players. Change. So, like, so if you look at Barcelona back in the day when uh, like Xavi, uh, sorry, Andres Iniesta broke in, he was round about eighteen, nineteen when he started getting to the first team, first sub appearances. Then he started getting more league starts when he was about nineteen, twenty. So that's roughly the same thing that they're doing with Foden right now. Um, this guy Sam Lee is a good, uh, good journalist. He was doing this thing on Twitter. Where he looked at players who were under or who were eighteen who were playing, and of. The, like the big leagues there's about 25 players who are 18 who are getting games and there are only 7 players who have more minutes than, than Foden does so he's getting the game time now and when he comes on he's making a difference and he will start playing probably I'd imagine next season which would fit in with the elite level do you level trust careers. he will? no but I, I think, think that so. Matt's the point he's is got, he's got a I don't trust he will. This is the thing. And also, there's a difference in minutes. Like, if you're Phil Foden and you do feel that you are talented and you feel that you've got everything, then you want to play the matches that, like, Mbappe was playing at that age or that Nicolo Zaniolo was playing at that age or, you know, other other midfielders who are, or, sorry, uh, forwards or whatever it is who are playing more important minutes, whether it be the league minutes or Champions League or Europe or something. Right. Whereas he feels he's also normally coming into games where they're ahead quite comfortably, and it's quite you know that is how big a test. But it makes perfect sense to make sure he keeps his confidence because he comes into games when he's winning and he can play the way he wants. You're not going to dent him down. And then when he's ready to start, and and he's ready to start now in the Premier League, there's just no place because you're competing against David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, and Neil K. Gundogan, who are much older. He's actually at the right exact stage in his career to go on to match what other 
elite players have done at similar ages. When you look, like Iniesta is quite a good one to look at the way he came into the team, how he broke in, when he was ready, and Foden has fallen that same path. And I can't. See, I'll like, take that and counter and, take you and, and, and throw in all these different examples because I agree with you in much the same way. So I was really upset when a certain kid was used by Roma in the Champions League match against Madrid. I thought that was sacrificial lamb. Like, this is your debut. We're going to put you in a Champions League match against the, the winners of the Champions League for three years in a row. And actually, they told me that that was the best thing to do because then he's under no illusion of his ability and his confidence will skyrocket because he'll build it rather than come in with a false sense of security of what opponents are like. Like. Sure, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Like it's maybe it's right to throw him in straight away, but Pep's got he's trying to win every single competition, and he's got all these great players who also need to play, and they're rotating them. I think you'll probably see him more. You'll probably see Foden play more Premier League minutes later in the season. He might get a start here and there when they need to keep like Silva and De Bruyne um, fresher for other games. But I think. I mean, you could throw him into a big Champions League game. Maybe he'll be fine. Maybe Silva get injured, De Bruyne gets injured again. Then he's got to play. But it, he's ready now. But he just needs I'd to love to see him it. start the Carabao Cup final. Yeah, he won't. I don't think he will. I don't think there's a single chance he will. Who's the opponent? Chelsea. Chelsea. Crisis club Chelsea. I, I think it would be. I think that would be a really good opportunity. That would be a great opportunity. And, and to see what. Yeah, exactly. He can. I mean, that, that's pressure. That's against good opponents. And let's face it, the Carabao Cup's not that important to Man City. How dare you, Matt Law? <laughs> Do not take the name of my favourite energy drink in vain. It's let's, horrible. Have you tried it? I, I must confess I haven't. I, uh, I don't have a favourite. Well, we're never going to get energy. them as advertisers now. <laughs> well, energy drinks aren't that nice anyway. My but, favourite I mean, this energy is drink a, is coffee, I think. It's particularly horrible. <laughs> Me too, Tom. Take that, Carabao. Let's move on and talk about the FA Cup and the priorities of the teams that are left in it. A lot of the teams now have a bit of a decision to make. Brighton, for example, they're into the quarterfinals. Uh, 2-1 victory over Derby on Saturday lunchtime. But they're slipping into trouble a little bit in the Premier League. Should they go for it in the Cup? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, they're at the quarterfinals. There's no point getting to the quarterfinals and then not... Not going for it. I mean, that would be insane. You should have tossed it off way before the quarterfinals. Well, I mean, they've they, drawn but, away at Man United. But they are. I mean, United they're, they're rotating Chelsea. their team for the the cup, aren't they? I mean, it wasn't their recognised first team. Um, Eight changes. Yeah, right? and I think they will continue to do that. Um, certainly for the quarterfinals, it's hard to predict it without knowing who they're going to play. Um, but, I mean, there's loads of examples of this. I was at AFC Wimbledon versus Millwall, and Millwall now are in massive trouble in the championship. I think they're two points above safety with a couple of games in hand. And yet they would definitely continue to play their strongest side in the FA Cup. Um, so it will be tricky. The, the ones who you look at who are in a great position are in, in it, I think, are Wolves and Watford, mm. who there's no way they're going to get sucked into trouble. There's there's no real way they're going to break into the, the top six or anything. So what about Palace? They've got, yeah, Palace probably still will be looking slightly over their shoulder just because that third relegation place, all of a sudden people started winning mm. and they, they can't get complacent just yet. But Watford and Wolves really have got free reign to just go for it, I'd imagine. Do you think clubs like Watford and Wolves want to get into the Europa League, say it goes down to sort of a seventh place, which isn't out of the question? Yeah, it's interesting. If they're smart, they should go for it because it's remarkable the things that you can learn and and the type of opposition that you face, the different tactics that you understand how to then overcome. I, I think that's hugely impressive and can really guide you forward I thought like that, that there's lessons that you can take from what PSG did against United you know just being able to teach your players how to overcome the press 
you, you will see that in Europe. You will face different opposition. You will grow accustomed to resolving situations on the pitch. I think when you play the same kind of football against a similar type of opponent every day, you stop evolving. And I think for these types of teams, if they do want to grow their characters and they want to grow the people inside the, the club and move forward because they don't have the money to spend to bring in superstars every day. I think you should really aim for that. Also, as a fan, going away to these European games is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it is. So I don't know... Have uh, you been on one with Aberdeen? No, but my friends used to... I was at uni and my friends had money somehow and they all went to go and see Aberdeen versus Atletico oh. uh, versus Panathinaikos. <laughs> all these great teams. Like we, we drew with Bayern Munich one of the years and they went to Bayern Munich to see it. it sounded like absolutely amazing fun. I would... I'd love to have been able to go, but all the stories I hear sounds like superb, just a good, a great time for everyone. And when you qualify for the European slots in Scotland, it's the biggest part of the season, is at the start of the season when you get to play just even random teams in Latvia or Lithuania or something. It's really fun. And it always seems to me that the teams in, a, in England, when they qualify, don't take it seriously, they don't care. Mm. But surely the whole point is to play these big games and get into the group stages. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of the Europa League, to be honest. It's a... Uh faded European glamour that appeals to me very it's much. It's also it's kind of a great kind of cheap airline competition. <laughs> a lot of the... A lot of the uh, Stag weekend. Exactly. It, it really, <laughs> I actually think probably for a fan, the Europa League might be more fun in terms of trips than the Champions League because it's all these more random stag weekendy cheap airline places that you can have a bit of fun with and you can probably drag it into the weekend if you want. I think ladies would prefer Champions League. (laughs) (laughs) Millwall, Palace and Swansea all through as well. Do we think it is a shock that we didn't have a shock in in this round of the FA Cup? Do we have to have a shock for it to be worth it? I I would have preferred one, I think. Yeah, I would have preferred it, yeah. Who would you have wanted to see? Anyone. The games are also predictable. I mean, Doncaster, Crystal Palace was so... There was no point even playing it, really. (laughs) (laughs) Doncaster turned up and they ran after the ball. like They were so excited to chase and run, run, run. And Palace like, okay, on you go. And then scored their one goal in the counter-attack. Jeffrey Schlupp ran from the halfway line to score. And then you've got... I mean, the rest of the game is just so like like a coaching manual lesson how to deal with these sorts of teams. I did think Derby could do something. I didn't turn up to the last twenty minutes, so like they, they, once they've, they've th- done in every cup round, but they've got through in all yeah. the other rounds. How did Ashley Cole look in that game? Uh, he did really well. He's, he came on. I think he wasn't he wasn't on from the start. I don't think he came on late as a sub, and he was yeah. playing really advanced, and he could see Fantastic. what he was bringing to the team because he was um, trying to take them forward and push them up. And he was confident. You could see it had the mentality that it was needing, they needed to get something over the line. He was in a striker's position to score his header. <laughs> it was pretty good. That's his first goal, isn't it, in the first FA Cup? Of, first ever FA Cup goal. Ashley Cole's unbelievable. I yeah. really like him. I feel like he's always been unfairly treated. Will, he get, will his reputation improve the further away we get from his playing? Career? I also think his reputation improves because there's a different feel now. Where I think people will look at him in a slightly more educated way. I, you've got to be honest about Ashley Cole, and I do think there was an element of racism about the Absolutely. way he was treated when yeah, he was definitely. playing. There was an element of certain people didn't like a working-class black kid doing well and enjoying doing well and, and daring... And the right amount. Yeah, and daring to marry a certain white English girl... It was held against him. I mean, there's no point pussyfooting around it or lying about it. It was definitely held against him in much the same way that stuff in the early days was held against Raheem Sterling. Mm. And now everybody finally seems to be coming around to, to seeing that it's not acceptable. I think had Ashley Cole started now 
and been doing what he was doing, then he's definitely made mistakes. I mean, he shot someone with an air rifle at Chelsea's training ground. Clearly a massive mistake, although I quite like it as well. Um, <laughs> That's true. But he's made massive mistakes, but the stuff that was held against him was, was unfair and racist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. I just feel like it it's it was so much was made out of him just wanting to go to Chelsea to win trophies and get paid what I thought he was he was at that point one of the best left backs in the world, really in the game. And you know how critical I am of defenses, you know. But Ashley Cole was superb. And even yesterday, when you saw how you know, he's older now, he's barely playing, how much of a difference his presence makes and how much of a winner he still is and how much he wants to go out there and still do something special. And I just, it's amazing how he's been treated. When you think of players like Iguain, when it took him so long to move to Chelsea because of the fact that he still wanted to be paid the huge amounts that he was being paid back in Italy. Nobody talks about that. No one talks about, well, listen, you're over 30. If you really do want to push this over the line, then maybe just accept a bit of a pay cut because you're asking for way too much. That's not even mentioned. That's not even criticized. But with Ashley Cole, who was the best, one of the, you know, the, the brightest prospects of the future at the time and he was moving forward, it was completely held against him about him being Ashley Cole. If you read what he, if you actually go back to his book now, it's really fascinating because everything he was complaining about um, in regards to Arsenal has ended up coming true. He yeah, predicted everything. Precisely. It's like Nostradamus reading the Ashley Cole autobiography. He called it all. He called it all. He called that it was going to end up turning against Arsene Wenger and it was unfair. He called the fact that they were falling behind their rivals. He ended up calling it all spot on. The, the thing about the, the crash in the car was the line that absolutely killed him. Um, but in terms of his doubts around Arsenal and what he thought was going wrong at Arsenal, he was absolutely spot on. It was back in the day as well that he was asking for 5k more a week. Yeah. And I mean, that's 50, it was 55 he wanted and he was on 50. And I think that was the numbers. And uh, you think that's now like Alexis Sanchez's appearance bonus. Yeah. And, and what he actually got annoyed game. about. Precisely that. What he actually got annoyed about when you again go back to it was the fact that he thought he had a certain offer and then he was told that a lower offer came in. <laughs> I think he would argue, and he also always argued, that his shock was not so much at the figure but what he felt was going back on certain agreements. Right. But anyway. Right. Yeah. The, the figure's almost an irrelevance. But he was, he was genuinely world-class. In that whole gold, mm. golden generation, yeah, he mm. was world-class. there weren't that many who, if any, who genuinely became world-class playing for their country. Even for England, at a time when England were failing, he was genuinely brilliant. And he yeah. went on to win everything with Chelsea, so he yeah. made the right move. Unbelievable. To be clear as well, we don't actually know that's Alexis Sanchez's uh, appearance bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case that comes up somewhere. Thank you very much, JJ. Speaking of Chelsea, they face Manchester United on Monday night in a match that may well have already taken place by the time you're listening to me say these words into a microphone through your mobile phone or other portable audio device. Who do we think would benefit more from a victory in the FA Cup this season, Sarri or Solskjaer? It's got to be Sarri. It's got to be Sarri after that whole dropping that they faced against... um... Manchester City and how everyone's looking at this team where different players are coming out being like, no, no, just give us time. We believe in Sadi. And I, I just think that Solskjaer, everyone looks at it and thinks, oh, well, it's PSG, right? They've got so much money. We totally get it. You know, but no one gets it when it comes to Maurizio Sadi. Everyone's like, he has no idea what he's doing. He's playing Jorginho and, uh, and Kante and, and all these different players when in different positions or just shouldn't be playing at all. 
And I think that if there's ever a moment to prove that this is a team that's with their coach and that's still capable of doing something special, considering their last performance against United, this is it. Sarri's gone within the summer or even maybe this season. I don't think that's that big a thing for him because he'll be gone at some point. It'd be his first trophy he'd win if he doesn't win the Carabao Cup. So that'd be good for him. But I think it's a bigger thing for Solskjaer because I think winning the FA Cup at this stage, he's not just going into the semi-final to the final, you know, he's taking them on. I think it would be a, a, a proper heavy weight on the decision for Edward to maybe really consider that he is the long-term future as a manager, if he can guide them to that. So you want him to take that position, so I this think is he's a way great of proving it. it. Yeah, I think um, winning the FA Cup would be huge for Solskjaer, because it, I mean, it just would be massive for him and that club. Returning to Chelsea, Matt, where are we at currently on the Chelsea dysfunctionometer? <laughs> Mm. What are the noises coming out of the club? The we're quite high on it, to be <laughs> fair. Um, again, this is speaking before the game. So if they, if you're listening to this and they've beaten Manchester United, the the uh, the radar will have gone down somewhat. But we're definitely kind of around the seventy eighty percent danger zone, really? for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't look. I don't think um, I'd be quite surprised. I think every a lot would have to go terribly, terribly wrong for him to get sacked in the season. But I do think this this cup tie um, and the Carabao Cup final, the results and the way they play and the way the matches go will have a large bearing on a decision that's made in the summer of whether to stick with him or get rid of him. And it will also have a large bearing on whether he can seemingly get that dressing room behind him. Who are they going to replace him with? Oh, there's always someone. I mean, this is always the thing that you can say. That. I, I agree with you. I mean, if I was a manager looking at it and they sacked Sari, I'd be thinking, why would you want to go in there? You know, there's no but good there's, coaches available. There's at the always Van Lampard's ready. There's always people. There's always people. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, he bothers me. He bothers me even when it was in Serie A and everyone used to speak about him and his philosophy. I just think it's got so much. Um, weaknesses within it, but I also don't get the whole idea of how this is this club is being run. Considering there's no replacement for the technical director who left in 2017, you know, um, there doesn't seem to be any long-term project. You went from br- bringing the world's most renowned pragmatist in Antonio Conte to then going for a philosopher, not changing any of the players for them. So I feel like they need to look at it themselves, and if they want to actually win, pr- provide a project that can do that. Very well said. In a huge year for rugby, stay ahead of the game with a sports subscription to The Telegraph. You can get a 30-day free trial, after which it's just £1 a week. We have a squad of rugby legends, including Sir Ian McGeechan, Maggie Alfonsi, Will Greenwood, alongside me to help produce the best coverage around. You'll get unlimited access to all our sports coverage, so make sure you're in the know with The Telegraph. To get your no-obligation 30-day free trial, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash rugby sub. Let's look back upon the Champions League from last week. Now, Manchester United taught a lesson by PSG, Mina. Do we think any hope for United in the second leg when they have to go to Paris? I thought the most interesting thing about this match was the post-match interviews. Um, because you saw Herrera came out and he said, yeah, I don't think we're out of the tie. I mean, we won away at Arsenal. We won away against Spurs. Why can't we win away against PSG? And then Solskjaer came and did his interview and he said it was a reality check. And I just thought, that's how you know he's a winner. 
Like, that's how you know Solskjaer belongs to the Sir Alex Ferguson era where he played to win huge trophies, whereas Ander Herrera's level is what he is playing at at the moment, perhaps. And it was a different level because when you face Europe, you have to play a different game. You have to learn different skills. And it, it's no longer about doing the fundamentals and the basics very well, but about also knowing how to defend, closing passing lanes, and also a little bit of luck. And I do think they were unlucky in the fact that they lost Lingard and um, Martial. I thought that was hugely important for their game. Um, but I do think that and I've never been at this huge Thomas Tuchel fan in the way that everyone else seems to be who's a football hipster. I do think he's very good. Oh. I have problems with his... <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like he's, this guy's got a huge following. Um, but I think what he taught them to do in terms of overcoming the press during that week, in terms of knowing and having studied United and knowing what it is that they do and how they can get around it, Marquinhos getting Pogba out of the game... They did the basics, but in a very, in a very Bill Belichick way, <laughs> if you like NFL. Like they had just really looked at all the possible scenarios for them and figured out a way to neutralize the opponent in every way possible and make the most of what they had. Because as much as everyone went on about Marco Verratti, I don't think this was a tremendously amazing performance by him. I thought it was amazing by Di Maria and Marquinhos. Mbappe was terrible on one-on-ones. He missed two really good chances because of his footwork and his first touch. But, you know, when it counted, he obviously also made the most beautiful goal. And he is a counter-attacking threat. And he is probably the best teenager. Well, he's no longer a teenager now, is he? Turning 20 already? Um, but the best I've ever seen in that age group. So obviously he's going to make a difference, even though he's capable of even more than that. But I think this was a game that was that shows you that United need to progress their game on every level. It was really just going on to you, cool, though. I mean, I, I'm with you. I've, I've never massively got the... A huge Tuchel thing, but given all the players he had out as well, and to to come up with the plan he did with what the French, I think, were calling probably his D team. Um, yeah, but it's it also annoying impressive. that they keep saying lavishly funded or you know this beautifully expensively assembled, and I'm like, you know, United has spent like pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that, know? but they had so many. I mean, they did have so many big injuries and big misses, yeah, didn't of they? Of course, I mean, and Bradley to come up tough. with that plan with that was particularly impressive. And Absolutely. as you say, Marquinhos playing in midfield just Absolutely. worked amazingly well. What about Spurs? A thumping win for them over Borussia Dortmund. Very impressive. JJ, how do they approach the second leg there? What's going to be their setup for that? Uh, well, they don't have to score any more goals, so they can really set up on the counter attack, which suits them very well. Dortmund have to take the game to them, and that'll be just a classic. You know, the the one team has to defend the other doesn't. <laughs> I, I I can't really. I don't know what you can tell if it's going to happen in the second leg. It depends how up for it Dortmund have. I mean, they've. Do we think Kane and Ali are back for that? Probably, although whether he now risks both of them with them 3-0 up is more questionable. I, this is, I, I've covered Tottenham for a long time and this feels like very new territory for Tottenham to be 3-0 up going into a game like this. It's, it's hard to, there's, there's nothing from experience or history to know how Pochettino will really go about this. It feels completely new, so mm. it'll be, be really interesting. I mean, it's one of those where you just don't want to concede an early goal and you, you're probably through then. Just wait, just be calm, patient, just try and wait at the halfway line and counter from there. It would be the most sensible. You don't want to defend too deep because they're too far away from the opposition's goal. You don't want to defend too high because then they can get in behind you. Like I mean, again, Dortmund had loads of players missing. and Loads, and really important ones. Yeah, but first half, they're excellent. First mm. half, they were really good and they, they dominated a lot and could have easily been a goal or two up. 
So it wasn't like Tottenham for 90 minutes just outplayed them and Dortmund didn't show up. But once they conceded at they the back, they fell apart. They completely fell apart at the back. Um, They've also had, like, really... I know everyone keeps saying, you know, well, they're missing Deli Ali and Harry Kane, and that's two huge losses. I do think sometimes attacking losses, can they're hard to bear, but it's especially hard to bear when you don't have a defence and, and people who can do anything in the back, and you're a young team. I do think that's important. They were missing Weigel, Akanji, their captain in, in Marco Royce. I, he's a forward, but, I mean such a guy who puts that team forward. I don't know what conclusion to draw from this it game. It was difficult to... Yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. It was difficult to... Gertz, um, by the way, Maria Gertz, what has happened to him? I know. Oh, my <laughs> word. He looks overweight as well. He's this little he round always, thing. He just well, doesn't... He he offers, he he's so that. anonymous. He's nothing now. He had big medical shame. issues, didn't he? And he had yeah. The game with for a long metabolism time. as well, yeah. which is why he's always looking... Positive. Right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Matt Law's fat shaming continues on the uh, <laughs> Telegraph Audio Football Club. Uh, Liverpool versus Bayern Munich on Tuesday night. Schalke play Manchester City on Wednesday. Two wins for the English teams, do we think? Quite really deep. tough games, aren't they? Because the, you... definitely is, for Schal- City. is Schalke tough. I don't know much about Schalke. It shouldn't that, be. Is no, go on. No, Schalke is like the worst it, team. It no. shouldn't be. <laughs> Uh, they're not the worst team. I used to really, really love their coach, and I still do, Domenico Tedesco. Um, he's brilliant because he was the only guy in, in the Bundesliga who understood defense. But he's missing a lot of key players this season. They haven't been, they've been a shadow of what they were last season. Um, they do still not concede as many as some of the other teams that you have in the Bundesliga, but they can't get a goal. And he's lost key attacking players. Um, he's got Matondo, who's a Man City youth player. Um, but it's just a team that they're 14th. If there was any side that you would want to play in this round, it was Schalke. Yeah, wait till Phil Foden gets going on them. He'll be uh, he'll be delighted to have a start against them. What about Liverpool Bayern? Uh, Liverpool should beat Bayern Munich at home. Is that a fair? They have the pace. Comment? Yeah, you'd think so. But I think there's a thing when English teams go into Champions League games. This. I think European teams tend to be a lot better at playing European football than English teams are, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I think United learned that against PSG. Mm-hmm. It's a different, you have to play in a different way. You've got to be far smarter. Um, you've got to do far more with your head than you do with your feet, if that makes any sense. Mm. But I think you can't just dismiss Schalke straight away. I know they're struggling in, in the Bundesliga and they've not got great players, but they're still a good team and they can easily win on the counter attack. They're, they're good because they're in the Bundesliga. They're all right. They can they're count 14th attack. in a Bundesliga. Yeah, but that I mean, mean like, yeah, which is already in like. But all it takes is City to not take them seriously, and then they get one counter attack, and that's an away goal. Oh, and I do forget it's City. So like, it, it can, that's possible. These kind of things can happen if you don't take it seriously. And then, uh, which is why I quite like the way Guardiola's managed the squad this season. So they're all trying to get in. Everyone wants to play. They know they can lose their place at any time. Liverpool versus Bayern Munich, you think, should be easy for Liverpool because Bayern Munich are ageing a wee bit. They're not the same power they are. But they're only two points of a top in, in Germany. They're still Bayern Munich. It's a huge game. They know what they're doing, don't they? They know what they're doing. Canny and Liverpool just... I mean, they've reached the final last season, but it's still... Real Madrid showed them that it's better players exist than the ones they have. You'd and have thought as well for, for Bayern Munich, Champions League takes on so much more extra significance for them with what's going on in the Bundesliga too. And they'll, they'll surely have a point to prove. I can't believe it's going to be easy. For the way that I, if I ever judge, like if I have to put a bet down, I look at two things firstly. Um, Defence. Obviously, that's always for me. In, Euro- in Europe, I think it makes all but the difference. But when you say defence, do you mean the players in the defence? Yeah, players that you feel are more reliable in defending. Um, sometimes it doesn't even need to be collective defending. Real Madrid are very good at defending as a unit. Not not very good at defending as a unit sometimes. But they have players at the back that were very good on one-on-one. So you you feel like you can trust them. 
Um, but when, I trust when, when Liverpool. people are running at them, do you mean? Yeah, if you have people running at them. I don't trust Bayern. If you have three guys play, running at them at pace, I don't trust them to keep a back line secure. And you saw that over the weekend as well. They look so shaky, so vulnerable. Sule, I, I don't think he had a great game. They're not brilliant at the back. And I don't think they have, have been, not even under Guardiola. So for me, I don't trust them at the back. Having, which is why they conceded like 400 goals in the semi-finals. You know? um, that is obviously an overstatement. But, oh, know. yes, I see. Um, <laughs> but... I look at defence and then I look at coaches. And I think that if there's any guy that you want to be playing Bayern Munich, you'd want it to be Klopp. Because um, he sort of, he understands the style of football they're going to play. The player's obviously available. Yeah, vertical counter-attack, just like really quick through the middle, straight like straight down the line. Yeah, and I don't trust Niko Kovac with necessarily making the right substitutions or, or changing the game to adapt to any of the problems where I do trust Klopp a little bit more. So if I am going to take a bet on this, I'm going to say, I think... Van Dijk missing is what makes it all that much harder for me to to figure out the first um, the first leg because he his presence makes all the difference. He's available. I'll tell you, hands down, it's a hundred percent win for Liverpool. What's the Bayern midfield like just now? Because that's how you protect teams against Liverpool is stopping them there. I don't think that they do do they defend well as a unit. So for me, it's not even like I I trust that midfield to secure the back line. Because all you need is just a little bit of place, a little bit of direct play, and I think Bayern are done. Let's move decisively into Europe now with a song for Europe featuring lead singer Mina Rizuki. <laughs> uh, terrible result for Real Madrid, Mina, losing 2-1 at home to Girona. A 20th career red card for Sergio Ramos. Uh, where's the Real Madrid crisisometer if we're talking about Chelsea uh, in a similar vein? Uh, it, it's all going awry there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is hard. But, you know, there are certain teams that when you're playing, they've had a really horrible schedule, to be very honest. They've played Barcelona, then they played Atletico Madrid, then they played Ajax, um, and then obviously they played Girona. And all these sides are are quite energetic and obviously big games as well where a lot mattered, especially Atleti and the Derby and the Champions League. You can't take one away. So they are a little bit tired. They did make a few changes. Uh, the likes of Vinicius Jr., who's been in exquisite form, didn't start. Neither did Luka Modric. Um, and I do think there's a little bit of sometimes... Um, there's a lot being said about Bale, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, I thought Marcelo sort of didn't mean to, but threw him under the bus the other day when he did an interview. And they said, you know, you don't seem that happy. And he said, you know, I lost my best friend in Ronaldo. And then I lost Kiko Casilla, who was the goalkeeper, because he was the guy next to me in the locker room. So I'd come in in the morning and we'd joke. And then I lost him. So now I have Gareth Bale and he doesn't speak Spanish. So every morning I just say, hello, Good wine, <laughs> and, and because and he basically threw him under the bus by saying he doesn't speak English after all these years. Sorry, doesn't speak Spanish after all these years, and they don't really know how to speak to him. Courtois I mean, did as well, didn't? And he? then Courtois came out and said, you know, he doesn't understand the Spanish way, especially Madrid, which is like having dinner at ten thirty. He wants to go to sleep at eleven, and it's like, well, listen, dude, we don't have training till eleven, so you'll be fine. And he doesn't do the team bonding. He just seems to be a really unloved character. And I think that he was the guy that they're relying upon to be the leader. And he's not stepping up. And so they're relying on now on Vinicius Jr. and Karim Benzema. So they do have these problems. But if you have Modric and you have Vinicius Jr. Um, and you have Sergio Ramos, you usually are good enough to be a lot of teams available. Speaking of that Spanish way of life, a few protests over the weekend at a game, uh, Rayo Vallancano, that kicked off 
at uh, nine o'clock on a Monday night uh, recently. How far can you push this? Like, what do you think? I'll, and I'll open this to the entire team. What is the latest you would be comfortable watching a football match kick off at? Oh, 9 p.m. is fine. It's fine if you're not covering it. It depends what my deadline, <laughs> my newspaper deadline is. What I can only what think. Country it's in as well. <laughs> yeah, I can only talk in the prism of my deadlines, and nine o'clock would make it nine impossible. As a fan, especially as um, as we've just discussed, living in Spain, as late as you like. <laughs> Well, Spain, there's, well, it depends. If you're in Madrid, there's no restaurant open before 10.30. And if they, you do go in, they ask you if you're German. There's no restaurant going before 10.30. That, that's the biggest exaggeration. <laughs> no, honestly, the good restaurants are not open. Or you're sitting by yourself dining, and then they look at you, and, and, and they are, or, honestly, they always ask me if I'm German. And I'm like, why do you keep asking me if I'm German? And they're like, because only Germans eat really early. And I'm like, it's 10. <laughs> I quite like it if uh, when you get chucked out at the pub at closing time and you go, do you fancy going to see QPR? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is definitely no. That's a good laugh. No, I just want to go to bed. Thank you. Uh, what about Italy, Mina? You were telling me before we came into the audio recording facility about a plot fit for a European soap opera at Inter. Oh, I'm sorry, because Inter's a big club, okay? And they're called Pazza Inter, which means crazy Inter, because it's a telenovela. Like, if you ever want to watch a Netflix telenovela, like, just support Inter. It's the, mo- it's the greatest show on earth. So obviously we know that their captain and top scorer and like leading man is Mauro Icardi, right? Um, so his he married his best friend's wife, basically. So he arrived in Italy at the time, went to Sampdoria, befriended Maxi Lopez, who took him under his wing and introduced him to his wife and his family and allowed them to like hang out together. He decided he liked his wife, Wanda, married her, tattooed the pictures of his kids on his body, yeah, which is, I mean, it's all wrong. Maradona spoke about it. It was a whole thing. Moved to Inter because he is a very talented poacher in the box, okay? So in Wanda, his wife, Maxi Lopez's ex, is also now his agent. And she's been negotiating a contract renewal. He's already got a contract till 2021, but she wants it to go further because she wants him to be paid nine million a season net. Um, and they're only offering seven, which is still a huge number, by the way. And um, so they're having all these negotiations. She goes on and does a show on Sunday where she's like, yeah, well, maybe his teammates should be offering him better balls forward, you know. And after that, Wednesday, Inter decide on Twitter to say, we have decided to strip Mauro Ikadi of the captaincy. It will now be handed to Semir Handanovic. Meanwhile, Brozovic goes online, likes every single newspaper article devoted to this, um, which goes to show you that there isn't a huge harmony in the dressing room when it comes to liking Mauro Icardi. I don't know if it's every single headline, but he liked uh, he liked the fact that uh, he's been stripped of the captaincy and Handanovic now has it. So Icardi then pulls out of the Europa League trip, uh, doesn't play in that game, doesn't play over this, uh, in Serie A that weekend against Sampdoria. And then Wanda does a show yesterday in which halfway through she goes, you know, we're just distraught. I still go to the stadium because I'm not only married to the former captain, but I am the mother of Inter fans. And it's been really hard on the family. And she's talking about all this. The CEO of Inter then calls live into the show. Cool. And then talks about, we never doubted his professionalism. We know he's a great player. We know we can come to an agreement. I am so sorry as I watch her cry on TV. I feel bad. I just want her to know that we don't doubt him as a player and and as a man. We just think that right now it's not the time for him to be captain of this club. And you just think to yourself, is there any club in the modern era nowadays that does this madness or has this drama we need wonder in England bring yes. wonder to England <laughs> yeah, bring a do you think Daniel Levy would call in a show and be oh, like I'm I'd... so sorry wonder <laughs> just be amazing we need wonder in England 
You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. JJ, have you brought your dossier with you today? Yeah, I've done it. I was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up. I know I have. I was looking at... Um, um, I watched the Crystal Palace game. I was live blogging it. And I thought, uh, Michi Batshuayi, that should be his game where he steps up and maybe shows that he's ready to play Crystal Palace games. It's Phil Foden moment. Yeah, well, I just don't know what's quite quite wrong with him. So I, lo- I looked into it a wee bit and did some watching on Scout and everything. So the boy's 25 now, and he should really be starting every single game and being a, the main striker. So why is he not? And I went, like, he broke through when he was about 18, 19 at standard Liège. And he was playing, uh, he was starting games when he was 19-20. Again, the, the right career path for a good player. Moved to Marseille, did well there. Then went to Chelsea when Conte was there in 2016-17. Now, I was going through his stats all kind of in that year with Chelsea and he wasn't starting every, well, because Diego Costa was starting every game. But when he came on, he was scoring goals. He was getting, his, his, uh, his stats were 1.88 goals per 90 minutes. We want to go into bits like that. And uh, his touches per 90, he had more touches than Diogo Costa when he played. He lost the ball fewer times. Um, he had more shots on, on goal. So he's getting all these things here. But the thing that always lets him down, and you just, just see it against, um, against Doncaster, is his touch isn't actually that great. He's kind of built like a winger, but he plays as a centre forward, and he's far too advanced. So he, he can't drop in to play to link play. So he's always kind of isolated and goes missing. So when the times he does get the ball and his touch isn't good enough, it looks so much worse because he's not really been involved in the play. And then his, uh, he missed. He played 22 games, I think it was, for Chelsea that season. Um, and he missed two big chances, which isn't a lot, but it's still way higher than anyone else comparatively for, for his kind of role that he was playing that season at Chelsea. So he's not clinical. He tries to do too much on the ball. There's one example against Doncaster where he had the ball with his back to goal along the 18-yard line with two defenders right beside him, you know, looking after him. And you think anyone in that position, you can't, you're not going to be able to turn and shoot from there. No one can do it. Maybe Aguero, if he's quick enough, can do it. But Batshuayi thinks he's really good because he's got the confidence that makes you a good player. Tries to turn, ends up getting a shot blocked. The, the, the move breaks down when he could just simply have played it short to someone, kept the move going, and then made his run back into the right place to score. Because that's his big skill set, has been the right place at the right time to score. But I don't know if that's enough now for the player to have a starting place in a Premier League team. And it might be for that for his career to really take off it won't be in the Premier League it'll be somewhere like France probably where he did well before which just suits you you'll have to play against such tough opposition every single week and he'll get the chances and will score and look much better than he is just now there you go take that Mitchie that's why you have been cancelled <laughs> finally AFC Wimbledon winger Scott Wagstaff sported an impressive blue and yellow half and half beard at the weekend uh, it made me think didn't get seeing the, the pictures of this there's that and also like what does he do now what's has <laughs> he still got that beard today and how sad is he uh, is this Saturday night like washing it out like three or four goes in the sink anyway uh, we asked <laughs> our friends here and our friends on social media what is the best beard ever worn by a footballer uh, of our Twitter friends Galton Kardica said, Lionel Messi, ginger treat. What have you got, Matt? My favourite, I'm biased, is Olaf Melberg. Mm. Extremely oh. good-looking man with an extremely good-looking beard. Extremely um, good-looking man. That was before as well, the kind of beard was quite so hipster. Um, mm. the one I really liked, do you remember when Alan Cork grew a mental beard at Sheffield United on mm. an FA Cup run? Mm. I mean, that was just like, there was no hipster, there was nothing hipster, there was clearly no... Um, tailoring of the beard went on or beard wax or whatever you put on beards on that one it just like grew and grew and grew with 
completely unkempt. So I liked that. Alan Cork at that time, towards the end of his career, not much hair on his head, big beard. He looked uh, playing for Sheffield United like he'd sort of won a charity auction and <laughs> he'd got to play on the pitch in a special game. Yeah, it was yeah. brilliant. I don't like the coiffured beard so much. I just like the, the mental the mental beard, the kind of homeless beard. Uh, Mina, who have, who have you got, Mina? I, I've, I've, got, I've got someone I reckon you've picked, but tell me. I know you think I've picked Andrea Pirlo. Mm, I do, yes. I actually had picked Tim Howard. Oh. <laughs> do you remember when he had that, like, Jesus beard? Like, that was just like... But I have to say, sorry, with Andrea Pirlo, <laughs> can I just make a note on this? I've always found him quite an unattractive man. No, Mina. But with the beard, he became an attractive man. You've not seen that picture of him relaxing in his vineyard. Yeah, it's not really my type, but I thought with the beard it just became a lot better. But Tim Howard's beard, it was it was the only time that I looked at a man with a beard and thought, you really need to get rid of that like now. I think uh, as well, it's important to note that beards haven't really been hipster for a while now. They are, they, There's more hipster to not have a beard in actual fact. Uh, well, yeah. that's probably correct. So we are ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speak for yourself. There's been a few good ones uh, in football. I liked Roy Keane's one when he grew the massive one. It made him look oh, absolutely yeah, that mental. Was really hot. It looks like he would... He'd be waiting for you in the car park because he also lived there. <laughs> Him and Paul Lambert had the same sort of beard going on at the same time when their yeah. manager and assistant manager at Villa and the two of them sat next to each other with their beards was, was quite a good sight. Do you remember Del Piero's little like goatee with the sideburns that matched? The like line? Yes, I hate stuff like that. Oh, that that shouldn't so even gross. be called any kind of beard. <laughs> well, so many footballers got one of those moustaches that you get people who work in cocktail bars yet. Oh, that, be good. That's, is, I mean, is that still hip, JJ? You live in East London. You can. I do. Um, I see them often, <laughs> usually working in cocktail bars. Riding uh, past you on a unicycle. What, like a handlebar moustache or one with yeah, a little twirly bit? Yeah, they wax bits. it now. Yeah. Oh, they wax it? It's pretty cool. Some people have it, but I mean, I, I'm not going to do it. But, Please do it. No. I'll pay you money. Okay. I'll How tell much? You. <laughs> can I just give Manchester City compliments? <laughs> I don't support Man City. <laughs> I feel like you would like that, though. <laughs> No deal. That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter as ever. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. You can also email the podcast directly due to the miracle of the internet. It's the AFC podcast at telegraph.co.uk email address that you need to send that email to. We will, of course, read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts and enjoy people talking into microphones. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.